Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where we are 11 games into the World Cup. We are coming to you right after that Spain absolute destruction of Costa Rica, where Costa Rica put up Brett literally, literally the worst offensive performance in World Cup history, given that they had zero shots and zero XG and zero of everything else. They had zero chance of not being at the bottom of the all-time worst performances. 11 games in, Brett, how are you feeling about this World Cup? Uh, well, I mean, we got, well, we got our, our like uh, peak performance game here. I mean, Spain had over a thousand passes. They allowed no shots. I mean, this has got to be one of the best played world cup matches by a specific team. We've had an interesting wrinkle with Japan beating Germany. We've had an interesting wrinkle with our board. Didier is uh, taking the handbrake off France um, so this is, uh, this is definitely something that I, I, you know, and obviously Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia. I don't know how that wasn't the first one. Um, so, I mean, this has been interesting. Like this has been, we have our intrigue already. I think, um, we're going to have major intrigue, obviously with, uh, like that Spain, Germany, Japan trio to see who comes out of there. We're going to have the narrative of is Messi going to be able to pick up the pieces and get Argentina out of group, or is this going to be one of the most disappointing world cups probably ever for Argentina? Um, so, and is Spain better than Manchester city? So yeah, I think we could dive into those kind of micro issues as we get to the individual games. We're going to look at for round two and a, qu- a quick programming note. Normally we would do this uh, on Thursday after all 16 games of the round have been completed, but obviously with Thanksgiving, we wanted to give uh, our staff a chance to kind of edit and record and get back to their family. And we want to give you a chance to listen to it before the Friday USA England game. So that's why we're going a little bit early. We're not going to be able to talk about Uruguay and Portugal, unfortunately. We're not going to talk about uh, Brazil, but we will focus on the teams that have already played in the first 11 and how they're going to look in the second round. Uh, But before we kind of get into those games and those micro issues that you're bringing up, Brett, I want to talk to you about one macro thing. I think it's pretty clear in watching the first 11 games that there is some instruction being given to the officials, particularly around extra time. Uh, Like, I, I don't know what is going on. Like usually you'll see, you know, one minute of extra time uh, when there's very little action in the premier league. And now we're getting five minutes and with four minutes is stretching to eight minutes. And with five minutes is stretching to 10, 11 minutes. Um, there also appears to be a lot of penalty decisions. VAR is unfortunately the only, the only one of the top stories you didn't name, but it continues to dominate a lot of the discussion. So looking at the way this world cup is being approached and unfortunately, the way it's being refereed, uh, how how does that affect the way you handicap this? How does it affect the way that you look at these games and these matchups? Yeah, I mean the extra time thing is is going to be wild. It's going to swing an outcome. Uh, you people are going to be losing <laughs> bets because of this. Um, you know, so I, it's uh, I don't know. I you know I, I jokingly texted a buddy. I'm like, it's cool that FIFA decided to go with 110 minute matches for this world cup. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know what, 
like the incentive is for this. Um, you know, we, we just finished watching the span match, right? Like we were just talking about this. So why, why is there so much extra time? It's seven nil. Like the game is over. That should be one minute of extra time. You wrap it up and you go home. Um, so, I mean, it seems also like, are we going to see an injury in this meaningless extra time? It's going to cost the game. Like that's going to be something that we have to watch out for. Cause then we're going to have to, you know, certain teams are not as deep as others. Somebody goes down. We are going to reevaluate every single odds for the champion or getting out of group or whatever. So the extra time thing, I think is going to be the biggest thing. I don't know how we really approach that. Um, I, I it's hard to say because I think like you're maybe looking at do over bets have a little bit better chance of hitting now? Like, are we going to see more goals at the extra time? Are we going to see things like fouls and yellow cards, like prop bets um, with the extra time where guys are tired and just sticking legs out. So uh, the, uh, the prop bet market for stuff like that might be the most interesting inefficiency. And you are the king of the card bets. So, I mean, is that something like, when you think about that tired legs, teams are down counters, whatever, or, you know, look at like the Tyler Adams foul on Gareth Bale, like in the extra time in the Wales match. So like, is that something that you're going to start looking at harder? I mean, you're the, you're the card man. Tell me. Yeah, I, I will look a little bit more at cards. Um, I also just think it's absolutely crazy that like this is being played in a desert and they want to make games 10% longer. I mean, the players yeah. look absolutely gassed. And so that does lead to a lot more desperation fouls and it does lead to more goals. It leads to more corners. It leads to more than all of those, you know, non-mainstream bets that you can find in the prop market. So I think there is some softness there that can be exploited. Um, but I think the biggest softness that can be exploited, Brett, is around penalties. I like hard to believe that I can like throw out a conspiracy theory when the FIFA world cup is being played in the winter in the middle of the desert in a country that's smaller <laughs> than Connecticut with 3 million people that just happens to have hundreds of billions of dollars in oil money. So I, I know it's crazy that there might be some, some things afoot <laughs> that might be going on. You guys can tell me I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. I feel like there's a general instruction to create more excitement and more goals in this tournament. Um, and I think we're going to see it through VAR. I think we're going to see it through penalties. I mean, VAR does cut the other way by disallowing some some of the offside stuff, but that's you know semi-automated. Anything that's coming down to a judgment call seems to be geared towards action. And and in the penalties, I mean, like we've had eleven games, we've had seven of the eleven games have had a penalty. That's nuts. Like you you know these stats better than I do in Premier League. It's like one out of every two, one out of every three or so has a penalty kick. And now we're seeing it, at, you know, seven out of eleven is an overwhelming majority. And this isn't even a necessarily a brand new thing. In Russia in 2018, we saw 24 penalty kicks in the first 48 games during the group stage. So more and more penalties are happening, whether it's because they've been given this instruction or because VAR is calling things like grabs in the box on set pieces, uh, which they could probably call every single time. Like yeah. we wanted to see 11 to 10 games. That's exactly how we get there. It's just VAR reviews of guys grabbing each other as 18 people collide in a very small space. Uh, but the prop market has not adjusted to it yet. So we'll be talking about this as we go through the individual games and the prop market. But the uh, the teams, like particularly the favorites that have excellent penalty takers and play a more attacking style, which are more likely to draw penalties, they're still getting plus 300 and plus 400 odds to convert a penalty in a match. And if they're going to give a penalty every single time there's a kickoff, like every 90 minutes there's going to be a penalty, then I'm going to take the four to one odds over and over and over again that the good teams are going to convert one. Yeah, I mean, I think the anytime goal scorer market then would also be like a, a- 
a good and efficient thing to look at is identifying the penalty taker like Ilkay Gunawan would have been a great one. Um, Germany was going to boss the game. They did. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more. But, you know, I, I think if I remember correctly, he was like almost like plus 600. Um, and if you just looked at, uh, you know, any of the basic stats of the German national team of the last year, like Gunnar was taking their penalties. So like that, that is a, a, um, a definitely a sneaky thing that I don't always think gets priced in. And part of it is, there is some random stuff that goes on with that. Um, like for example, like uh, when we were watching when I was watching the Dutch play, like Cody Gakpo was taking the set pieces. So, you know, when you're looking at that, if he's taking free kicks all of a sudden, like that's a huge thing. Like he's, he could get four or five chances from outside the box when in settled in settled possession where he can just take a shot at goal. And we know some of these goalkeeper disparities and talent are not good. Um, I mean, we saw that a little bit with Iran's backup goalkeeper. I mean, obviously English England had some a crazy finishing, but you know, you get really good players going against really low level goalkeepers. If they're the guy taking penalties, if they're the guys taking free kicks, I'm not sure how much of that stuff is being priced in. So I, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, in terms of where you can find the most value prop bets have always been the most efficient thing. And now with this weirdness, like, you know, spreads are probably now I wouldn't say out the window, but like definitely the second place that you look. Yeah. Well, it is funny. I am talking about how they uh, have been told to create more goals and we already have three nil nil draws. So Sal and the gang are incredibly happy because I know they did take that um, over four and a half on nil nil draws of the entire tournament. And they're already, you know, 60% of the way to cashing. So I think we're just seeing, you know, a lot of disparity in these games we're seeing. And it's what you would expect in round one, right? Because there's a lot of quality disparity on the pitch. I mean, that's something I really mm -hmm. want to focus on as we go through these games. Like, yes, Spain did just win seven zero. Um, I don't know if we should be putting them over Manchester City because Costa Rica might not even like make it to Division Two of the English Premier League period, and neither would Cutter or some of these other squads. Like, mm -hmm. it's pretty wild after watching so much Premier League and like training your eye to watch those games that you don't like. You know, even sometimes last year, I guess uh, uh, with Norwich, there was some pretty wild disparity on the pitch. But like <laughs> Spain, Costa Rica was just unbelievable to watch in terms of the the difference in quality. And Absolutely. so, like looking. Looking at Germany and them losing to a quality Japan team, um, I think is something we have to weigh in. Like, yeah, Spain routed Costa Rica and Germany lost to Japan, but I don't feel that much differently about Spain and Germany than I did before kickoff. Of course, I feel a little different, but not wildly different just because Costa Rica is trash and Japan is good. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're you're stealing my talking points, man, for that match. <laughs> no, it's definitely one of those things where um, – this is this is especially true. And when we had Ryan O'Hanlon on our last podcast, he brought this up, uh, you know, before. This is why underlying numbers are important um, because they really are going to tell you a much clearer picture of what happened. Like Germany throttled Japan, like they buried them in chances and shots, um, beat them in XG very handily. They win that match ninety percent of the time if they play with those same results, right? So uh, this is, and then with Spain their matchup against Costa Rica was like the perfect matchup for what Luis Enrique is trying to do. Costa Rica is old. They have no athleticism. They don't have players that they can get in behind. They struggle to maintain possession and they play in a weak federation. So like it's a lot different if Spain was going to play a team that maybe wasn't very good, but like had some attackers that can make runs in against their high line and kind of expose that a little bit, the open spaces that they leave when they bring everybody forward in possession. So like 
this was like a perfect confluence of events. Japan is better than everybody thought. Germany got unlucky. Spain just throttled a team that's easily the worst in the group. That was a horrible matchup to expose the things that can expose the Spanish team. So like, this is really, this is really fun. It's, it's fun of what it's really, what's fun about betting is like working through these things, you know? Um, and so this is definitely, I think the second round games, after you get the first slate, you get a little bit more information, you get a few more data points. Um, if you can parse some of those things out, like there are going to be a lot of betting inefficiencies, especially too, because when casual fans are pushing money towards like the U S or the more popular teams, they're going to influence lines in ways that aren't necessarily indicative of performance. Yeah. Well, I thought what was fun about betting was everything, but I'm glad you narrowed it down to one specific thing. So yeah. way to go on there, pal. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, we'll get more into Spain and Germany. We're going to do that game last, uh, even though it's probably the marquee ratchet of, of round two, just because we're waiting for the odds to post. Uh, but let us start with the real headline, Brett, the real headline for everybody who's in the sound of my voice on Friday, 2 p.m., the United States of America versus England. England is minus 185. The USA is plus 500. Caesars has the draw at plus 305. England minus half a goal is minus 180. The USA is plus 140 to get a absolutely crucial result. So before we get into England and USA, Brett, I specifically did not call you or text you after that USA-Wales game because I wanted to be fresh for this pod. Uh, also, I was a little bit despondent for a while, but I'm back. I'm ready to talk again. So tell me what, what you thought of that matchup from a tactical standpoint. Uh, I am deeply, deeply, deeply concerned that they only managed six shots against Wales. Um, I thought it was, it was, this is what we've seen in the Berhalter era, right? On teams where they dominate possession, they do a great job of winning the ball back, of circulating and moving around, but it never has the real clinical end product more than what it did in, in this match, which was once with the Pulisic to weigh a goal. So like, that's the concern. This, this was the concern with the U S team against the lower oppositions, which is going to be Wales and Iran. They're going to have the ball. They're really not that good. The Gio Reyna thing, which has been talked about probably ad nauseum on social media, which I've been trying to ban myself from, um, you know, he's like the one player the U S has that can really do well against teams that are going to basically try to just defend and counter, um, that that's concerning to me. Uh, I, I, you know, I, obviously the penalty sucks. Like it's just a rush of blood to the head type situation with Walker Zimmerman. Um, there was, you know, but there was promising stuff in the sense that, uh, you know, the fullbacks were really involved. Um, you know, Anthony Robinson, Pulisic and Musa were combining a lot to like get the ball into dangerous areas. But again, it's that end product. Like, is it going to be there when it matters? And now it, now it matters. Like, there's a draw now. They have to beat Iran or they have to beat England to get out. Yeah. Well, it was obviously a tale of two halves. I mean, you watch that first half and you're pretty encouraged by what you saw. Like they dominated Wales in the midfield, the field. I don't know the field tilt stats. I didn't look them up, but just watching the game, it felt like a lot of rush towards the Wales goal and not a lot coming the other way. Um, they obviously created the one goal, Pulisic with a real moment of class and and freed up uh, Wales to, to get the also a classy finish. Uh, so there was so much good to take from the first half. And then that second half, like what the hell was that? I was watching with some friends and we were just trying to figure out what was the idea. What were the tactics that were even being employed in the second half? And I don't know. And this is my question for you. 
Uh, Wales made one change up top. They brought in a physical presence and striker and they got a little more aggressive and USA just lost their entire nerve. And like they weren't countering, they weren't pressing, they weren't playing offense, they weren't playing defense. I don't know what they were playing. Um, so in your mind, was that because we have, we have a coaching deficiency, uh, were the players getting tired because they definitely looked to be wearing out, but why didn't that affect Wales so much? Uh, was it just a rush to the head and I'm overreacting? We looked better in the second half and it was wiped out by a bad movement from Zimmerman. Um, do we not have the depth? Are we only bringing in guys who are MLS quality, but not international quality? So while we've leveled up on the starting lineup, we haven't leveled up on the bench yet enough to, you know, kind of finish a game out. What what of these uh, factors or any other factors that you want to bring up led to that second half performance? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. Like years ago, I wrote um, a piece for one of the websites I was writing for um, about the NBA playoffs, and I called it different or better. And basically what I talked about was when you watch a playoff game and you like you see a team execute like a certain defensive scheme against somebody or have a certain tactical approach and they lose. And the question for the coaching staff always is, did our guys not play well? Or was the te- were the tactics on sound? And like the ability to decipher that is really, really hard. I think a lot of this, and Ryan had mentioned it before, this U.S. team has not played together very much. The core guys have not played together very much. A lot of these guys are coming back from, from injury. Um, I mean, part of the reason why Berhalter said Reina didn't play is that they felt like they still needed to get him up to speed. Um, McKenny obviously has dealt with a couple of injury setbacks this year. Dest has dealt with a couple of those. So like part of it is that I think there there's going to be stretches that are going to be rough moments because there's not a lot of cohesion. Uh, Part of it is these guys are just younger players that aren't all necessarily in their primes. So there's going to be that kind of thing where there's just some inconsistencies like Moose is like a kid. I mean, especially compared to you and I, man, Uh, like Moose is a kid. Um, And so like there's going to be inconsistencies. There's going to be bad decisions. There's going to be times where he goes through 10 or 20 minute stretches in a certain half where he's just trying to dribble through everybody and he's going to lose, lose possession, cause problems. So I think part of it is that, um, you know, I don't think there's like a silver bullet that was like, this is the one thing that hurt them. I definitely think it was just kind of a mixture of everything. I think bringing on Kiefer Moore was big for the way that Wales is playing. They don't, they don't have good players that can possess the ball. So just bringing on a target man and going back to 1992 <laughs> and just trying to lump the ball up and let them bring it down and let guys run off them was probably their best move. Um, and, and, you know, more, I, I mean, more isn't like a total hack. Like he plays for Bournemouth in the premier league. He scored, you know, he's not some bum that, you know, was playing for Wickham or something. Um, no disrespect to Wickham fans out there, but, uh, <laughs> I, I do think it was a mixture of all those things. I think, I, I think we're going to see this. I, I think this was my, my concern with the U S team is we saw this from game to game and qualifying too, right? Like that was the really frustrating thing about qualifying is we'd have a, a great match. And then we'd have something like the second half for an entire 90 minutes. This just happened in one game. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is, do you, do you feel like there was one thing I actually kind of want to get your take on this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny. I'm asking if Greg's the right guy, but you're basically saying like, yeah, bring in Sam Oladice. Let's just lump it up to the big fella and see who can run off of him. Let's like, no, go I was, back that, to that, the was that was Wales. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Wales. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is where missing 2018 really, 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 really hurt us 
the moment looked too big for a lot of those guys and it looked like they were starting to play not to lose rather than play with the joy they had in the first minute or first half uh, Mm -hmm. where it was zero zero. And, you know, the expectations weren't quite as high as they are when it's one nil. Once you get up like that and the clock starts ticking forward and there's 15 minutes left and you're this close to having a victory, I can see, you know, nervy moments overcoming you. And if you've never done it on the real world stage before, it's more likely, like we keep saying they're kids, they're they're all kids when it comes to World Cup experience. Yeah. Uh, so missing in 2018, I think really like the long tail of that is what we saw in the second half in 2022. I guess I am hopeful that this means in 2026, we won't see a second half like that again, because we're building up that experience and and that level. That's why I I want them to go out and play with the joy and express themselves and try to get some of this weight off of their shoulders, because it is a matter of sequencing. Like if, if Wales had scored first and we had scored in the 80 minutes to tie it, we'd be having an entirely different conversation. Uh, The fact that it happened in the reverse order is why a lot of the narrative is the way it is. And that's just the way soccer goes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't want to lose my head about it, but I am concerned with the the shot creation. I am concerned with playing not to lose rather than continuing to play with the joy that led them to a lead in the first place. Yeah. And I think one thing, um, because I I do want to give you, I I know you dangle some Berhalter stuff out there for me. So I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go bite at that hook. Um, No, I I do think one thing, um, and part of the reason maybe that we see these inconsistencies that we saw in qualifying that we saw in this, in this last match is the U.S. midfield. I love the U.S. midfield. Tyler Adams, McKinney, Musa, they're all, they all have things that, oh, go ahead. I thought Tyler Adams was incredible in that yes. game. So I want to give Tyler, Tyler Adams specifically his flowers. He was incredibly impressive in controlling that game throughout the match. Yeah, and 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 they're all good, and they're all good at things. Like Musa is great at progressing the ball with his feet. Like he's the uh, the classic, you know, eight that can just push forward, break the lines by dribbling through it. A uh, ton of energy. McKinney has the skill of popping up in the box for goals. Um, that's a really valuable skill to have in an eight. Adams obviously is great as a defensive shield, like, you know, and he saved maybe potentially a winning goal for Wales when Bale was about ready to lob that thing over Turner when Turner came out to head the ball. So like, you know, super heady play epitome of what he does, what he's supposed to do. But the thing that lacks in that skill set is they don't have like a possession fulcrum. They don't have a guy that's like your boy, maybe like a Jorginho that can settle possession, that can keep the ball, that can be a fulcrum to continue to control matches. And we talked about this with Ryan, like midfielders are going to be more important. When If you watch the Dutch game, it was like hilarious how open the midfield was and watching those guys like chip in balls from 25 yards out of the box, like no one pressuring them or Frankie yeah. Young like dribbling 30 yards up the pitch and no one beating around them. So yeah. like midfielders have more influence and we just don't have guys that are influential in that way. But this is where Burhalter comes in. If that is your midfield, the way you want to play is like the Bob Bradley way, like be compact, press, you know, control, really direct um, attacks on goal. Don't try to be Spain. Don't be Spain with that group of skills in the middle, you know, be a more aggressive dynamic team and take advantage of what your midfielders are bringing to the table. This is the, and this is the critique of Berhalter, right? So I got there for you, Toby. I got there in the end. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it's funny. You bring up Bob Bradley. Like, is Michael Bradley too old? Can we get him on a plane to <laughs> yeah. uh, to Cutter? I mean, he's the last American we had that actually kind of played the way you're playing. You're talking about for both the United States yeah. team and for Roma. Uh, so I, I agree. And then the other obvious deficiency, but it's been the deficiency since I started watching the red, white, and blue, was up top. I mean, like, I don't know what the answer is, but it ain't Josh Sargent. It is not Jar Sargent in these games. He is not the right guy to lead the line. I I almost bit my tongue off when I saw the lineup that he was in it. Uh, I guess they, you know, wanted him. And he he didn't make a contribution on the goal, so I don't want to, you know, say he did absolutely nothing out there. But he just didn't do enough uh, for us to kind of have somebody a presence up top, making the right run or making the hold up play or doing anything that actually influenced the game. Which I think is one reason we only got six shots. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, like turning to the England game, would you go with Ferreira up top, or would you just say screw it? I'm going to play my best eleven guys, and I'm going with Reyna or Aronson. Uh, up top, and the, or I'm sorry, out of the wing, and then putting Wea in a false nine. What would you do against England? Uh, well, I think Wea's like general skill set makes him more of like a kind of defensive winger, like a pressing forward kind of thing. I guess. Um, I, 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 I think what I would do is I would go Pulisic, Wea, and Brandon Aronson across the top because um, you're not going to have much of the ball. Both Wea and Aronson are going to put a put in a shift defensively, which is what you're going to have to do against England. Um, you know, then you start the normal midfield, normal fullbacks. Um, and then you, and then if you need a goal, like that's where Reina comes into the fold. Like that's where it's perfect. Like then you bring on a creative player, you sacrifice maybe a little bit of work rate or you sacrifice one of the midfielders dynamism to bring in Reina at that point as like your super sub, um, you know, cause I, apparently there, there obviously are some concerns about himself. Like we're not in the locker room. We're not, we don't have, we're not privy to the conversations between Berhalter and the team's physio. Like we don't know what those conversations are. Uh, we just know that Reina said like, he's good to go, but every player in a world cup is going to say they're good to go. Iran's goalkeeper got basically <laughs> knocked out and was like trying yeah. to come back on the pitch and he couldn't even walk on a straight line. Um, so like, which man props to the medical staff, there getting that one. Right. Um, so like, it's, it's definitely one of those things where I, I look at this game specifically against England, realizing who you are, you're the underdog. You're going to have less of the ball, play a front three that is going to correspond to that game state, you know, and then have in your back pocket, that more dynamic, we need possession. We need somebody that can create chances and then move into there if you need it. I couldn't agree more. I would prioritize work rate over absolutely everything else in this match because I think they're they're going to stay in this match by harassing the hell out of England. Uh, not unlike the Boston Tea Party itself. That is the only way that we're going to be able to do this is to charge the ship that is Harry Maguire and kind of throw the tea <laughs> overboard gonna, wait, and get one ball from Harry him and, and then, then slip one home. Cause like John Stones and Harry Maguire aren't the best with the balls for the feet. They're known to nervy moments and you want just, you know, guys buzzing the tower over and over and over again. So I would play Aronson. I would play Wea, I would play Pooley and I would just tell them anything that is in our third, you just dive bomb the hell out of their defensive backs and make them, uh, make them, you know, think about it, make them think about it for a moment. Cause, those are the weak points that you can really attack and exploit because once it gets up and then yes you can counter them as well because you know harry's also not the most fleet of foot guy oh, uh so Tri- trippier that, also plays right back for him so Tri- trivia plays right back and uh yeah i mean uh, their alternative there is alexander arnold you know how i feel about his defensive prowess uh so 
I think the two ways the U.S. scores in this this game is high is just pressure through work rate uh, by turning over McGuire or one of their midfielders and then bum rushing the goal, or it's a lightning fast counter after absorbing a bunch of pressure. And I don't know how much I want uh, Zimmerman absorbing pressure, so I would optimize for that work rate, and I I think that plan can work. And so that's why Brett, when we get to the picks, oh I believe oh, oh that we God. can draw. Oh. I believe that we can draw. I believe that we can draw. Uh, I know it's not as, as uh, catchy. I know it's not the the result that everybody in America is going to want. I know Americans hate ties, but a draw would be an absolutely fantastic result here. And at plus 305, it's actually a tasty number as well. England at minus 185 for a game where they can struggle against, you know, the U.S., not just historically, but against this style of play that the U.S. plays. Um, I don't like that number. I, I certainly don't like the USA at plus 500 to win outright. So the two bets that I do like when it comes to the result is the draw at plus 305, actually three bets, the draw at plus 305. I, I like uh, I won one draw specifically at plus 700. Plus 700 for a 1-1 draw, I think, is an excellent number. I mean, obviously, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be pissed if it doesn't hit because it's a coin flip. It's not a coin flip. But I think that is a highly likely result for this matchup. And if you think it's going to go the other way, don't take England at minus 185. Take them minus a goal and a half at plus 160 and adjust the odds up. Because we saw what happened against Iran. Uh, they got, you know, they got a goal. They got a lead. Iran started to press the game. And England was absolutely clinical and picking apart once there was space behind to run into and, and uh, you know, kind of space out on the wings to put balls into the middle. So I... I think one of the more least likely outcomes of this game is an England one, you know, one goal victory. So if you like England, don't take the minus one eighty five. Juice the odds. Take it at a minus a goal and a half, and take it at plus one sixty. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm going to go in the opposite direction, and I think it. I'm gonna. It's going to sound almost like I'm contradicting myself here, um, but like England's performance against Iran was both good and bad in in a way so we criticize southgate for possibly coming to this tournament being too conservative well he rolls out a 4-3-3 he doesn't go with the super conservative back three for stability or whatever reasons he has um and he put a bunch of his better attackers on there um he had bellingham and mount as free eights like all i think what they should be doing um, you know, the, the finishing though, is the one thing that we got to touch on. They scored six goals. It was off about two expected goals. I mean, let's look at the first couple Sterling basically put a ball in the net off his outside of his ankle bone, how he controlled that. I don't know. You know, then it was followed by Saka's volley. Then it's three. Oh, yeah. so you're kind I've of watched a lot time. of Sterling. That ball goes into the upper deck far more often than it goes in the upper corner. <laughs> yeah. See, as a Sterling expert, we have it. Yeah. We have the opinion now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was very flattering. The scoreline was very flattering to England. Um, when you look at the underlying numbers, you maybe would get concerned and say, oh man, like the England's vulnerable because it was only, you know, two, about two expected goals to 1.4 for Iran. Obviously there's a penalty baked in for Iran I there. Um, basically very late in the match. Uh, I think Tremi got the, uh, the extra time penalty. Um, so you, we were just talking about extra time. There's a, there's a goal difference right there. Um, although the over had already hit long before then. Um, but yeah, so, but the thing I look at with Iran is you talk about the giant hole at striker for the U S 
Taremi is would be immediately be the best attacker on the U.S. Yes, yes. Christian Pulisic included. Taremi is way better than every other single attacking option as far as putting the ball in the back of the net than anyone the U.S. has. So I wasn't, you know, I was pretty bullish on Iran before this. I, you know, thought the finishing early kind of like put them in a rhythm. Obviously, it sucked for them to lose their starting keeper like was it 10 minutes into the match to basically getting his face broken. Um, so like that, that was like, it was a weird match. I think from that regard, I thought obviously the underlying numbers being close was a, uh, a little bit of a warning sign, but the six shots against the U S with the fact that Taremi himself is so much better than everybody else. Like the combination of evaluating those two things, it is so hard for me not, not to think that England is going to just, be dominant in this match. So I actually, I've, I, I didn't even go to the draw. I didn't even go to the spread. I went to the adjusted line, Toby minus one and a half. England is plus one fifty five. Two Oh three Oh just seems like a score line. It's hard for me to see how the U S scores in this match. So I paired it with the clean sheet. win. I don't want to say good team doing a good thing because this is international soccer and I don't trust any of these teams to do anything. Um, but I, I just, I think the one thing that I keep pointing to is that I feel like the U S and Iran were pretty even in terms of overall quality. The U S really struggled to create three shots in each half. England is much, much, much better defensively than Wales, even with your boy, Harry Maguire, even with Trippier at right back. I think this is going to be a pretty ugly match for the U.S. All right, all right, King George. What were the odds on the clean sheet? You didn't even give it out. Uh, plus like, plus one thirty. Plus one thirty. Sorry, you're plus one thirty. Plus plus one thirty. Um, you know, for basically to go against a U.S. team that couldn't shoot against Wales. <laughs> sure, plus one thirty to commit tyranny. If you want to go with King George over there, I am a traitor. Or, um uh so on the rest of the props, there's some other things that I do like. England to score a penalty is plus three twenty which I like for the reasons that we talked about at the beginning of the show, that there's a lot of penalties be given out and teams that are going to do um, a lot of attacking on the front foot, which I think England fits that bill in this game, have an excellent chance to get one. And I believe Harry Kane will convert it. Um, the other one that I like, and it's the one that I'm actually going to appear later in my five pint is both teams to score. Yes. Minus minus one fifteen. So I am the complete opposite of, uh, of the, King of England over there. And I will be giving out the U.S. to take advantage of Harry Maguire, to take advantage of Stones, to take advantage of Trippier, to take advantage of uh, Jordan Pickford. None of those guys put the fear of God into me with their energy to be able to create a moment of ecstasy. Uh, or England's up 3-0, 4-0, shuts off entirely, and U.S. gets a consolation goal. Either way, I get to go to the window and, and cash that ticket. If you want a super sneaky bet, uh, very sneaky the Wales England game is already posted right now and you can get Wales to draw or to win at plus plus one fifty five. If you believe England is, is going to win this game, England uh, likely will not have a whole lot to play for in match day three and to be able to block in Wales right now for plus plus one fifty five, that'll be playing for their tournament life and an England squad that almost certainly would rest Harry Kane at that point because of his ankle injury. Uh, I would get that plus 155 now if you think England's going to win this game. Because even if they don't, you're still holding a ticket that has a chance to cash. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only thing I would add to that is uh, Jude, <laughs> Jude Bellingham is sitting at plus 600 as an anytime goal scorer. And in that first match, 
he was he had a license to go wherever he wanted to go. Um, he gets off a lot of shots for the England team. I think he's probably a better attacker at this point um, right now than maybe where Sterling's at form wise. Um, so uh, plus 600 is a pretty lofty number for a guy that and, and this is one of the other things, too. When you look at any time goal scorer props, you have to factor in the fact there's now five subs and more players are going to go off probably maybe even a little, a little earlier than normal. Bellingham is a dude that I'd be very, 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 very shocked if he's off, if this match is close, if he's off before the 85th minute. So at plus 600, I, I really like that one. It almost made my prop bets, uh, but I just couldn't quite get there. Cool. All right. I know we went a long time on the U.S., but that is kind of what we do on this podcast for USA Games. So hopefully you enjoyed that and you'll stick with us. Uh, We'll take a quick break for our sponsors and so that Brett can go support the Union Jack and get some tea and maybe listen to some Spice Girls. And after that, we will come back and uh, talk about France. Got to put my David Beckham poster up. Your first bet with Caesars Sportsbook and Casino. It's on Caesars up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code C-Z-R-F-U-L-L and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. That first bet also gives you 1,000 tier credits and 1,000 reward credits, putting you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer free stays, game tickets, experiences, and more. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Yes, you have to know when to stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, or if you know someone who has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or in Maryland, visit MarylandGamblingMDGamblingHelp.org or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, Arizona. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Call 1-800-522-4700, Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. That's 467-369. Or text C-O-N-N-E-X to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All right, we are back. So, Sir Brett Coromenos, we are going to head over to France versus Denmark. Saturday at 11 a.m., France is minus 119. Denmark is plus 360. The draw is plus 230. France minus half a goal is minus 125. Denmark is minus 105. So, Brett, I think for me in the first 11 games, it's it's not a controversial take. France was by far the most impressive squad. Uh, so far on non-penalty XG, they were at 4.2. And despite Spain's seven goals, they were at 2.7. So the underlying numbers that you love and worship uh, support what I saw with my eyes, that they were just absolutely <laughs> dominant on the pitch. And I don't see any reason to kind of move away from them. Not only were they dominant on the pitch, I do want to hear more about that. I got so mad watching this match, looking at their kits. Like how does America and France basically have the same color scheme? And France's kits are 600% better than ours. Those are the <laughs> best kits in the tournament. They are so clean and so yeah, elegant. Yeah, the gold, nice. the gold accents help. Obviously the, the badge in the middle helps, but how do we keep screwing it up? And France looks so God dang good, not just in the style of play, but the style that they're wearing on their backs. That made me mad. Are you sure it's just like you're not just caught up with staring at Olivier Giroud? Is that not part of it? You see, so well, I look if Olivier Giroud is going to start scoring goals, like let's just give them the winter medals now. Like they won the World Cup last year with their starting striker having zero goals for the entire tournament, and the guys already got two. They played without the Ballon d'Or winner, they played without their best defender. They are down like so many guys that would be the best player on you know 75% of teams, and they go out and put 4.2 XG and just absolutely blow the doors off of their opponents. So when I looked at this line and saw them at only minus 119 against Denmark, who I have respect for. Denmark was at 1.6 non-penalty XG, but almost all of it was on set pieces. Like it's almost all set pieces. And so when you have France that can create from everywhere, when uh, the reason I didn't like them before the match was, you know, Pogba and, and uh, my boy Angola Conte being at home rather than on the pitch, they just roll in like Chouameni and, and Rabio, and they look just as good. So I, there is some, there is some, you know, quality deficiencies. Obviously, versus Australia, the Socceroos aren't lighting the world on fire. They're not lifting the cup anytime soon. But they looked absolutely dominant. They looked far better than I was prepared for them to look, particularly with uh, the injuries that they have. Yeah, I mean, and this is what we, I mean, when we had Ryan on too, we we touched on this uh, same kind of topic. This is what they should be doing. He put his foot on the gas. He played four attackers. And just basically said, we are going to run you off the pitch. And that's what they did. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that is very probably under discussed is Usman Dembele is still one of probably the 10 best attackers in the world. Um, yeah. And he's healthy now and playing. So you have Mbappe on one side and Dembele on the other. Griezmann, we can have conversations about whether or not he's washed. Um, And then you have Giroud, you know, playing in the middle, doing his thing. You know, we can, we can make fun of the fact that he didn't score in the last world cup, but let's look at this last match. The dude had five shots for 1.7 expected goals. (laughs) That's nuts. Um, And he obviously scored two of them. And And when you have two amazing creators, you know, Mbappe is incredible from how he can just go from a standstill to like full speed and 
the blink of an eye, um, maybe even faster than that. So you have these two top creators along with Giroux. Uh, I just think if if France is going to do this, if this is how they're going to play, if they get rid of the conservative style that won them in 2018, if they are going to throw out these players, if they're going to rely on the super athletic pairing of center backs that they have, they are, they are, I am way more excited, well, I'm excited, but way more bullish on them to go very deep in this World Cup if this is going to be how they play. Now, if Deschamps yeah. starts to lock it back up again, you and I will be having a different conversation come the quarters or whatever round they're in, and we're seeing this. Um, but right now, I'm with you. France at, at, at minus 119, it's not like super attractive, but. Denmark really struggled to create. You mentioned it. The majority of the chances that they created were off set pieces. And that's where they, in a match where they dominated the ball, they are not going to have the ball against France. So they are going to play defend and counter style, which is going to limit their ability to probably get as many set piece opportunities as they can to poke one past Larice. Um, And I, I just don't think that there's anybody that can stand up to a Dembele on one side and Bappi on the other combination. It's insane. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting watching like Dembélé and then watching Spain today and just try to figure out why Barcelona is so trash. Like, how yeah. many more levers they have to pull when their guys are lighting up the World Cup? Like, why can't they get this together? I guess, I guess the ultimate uh, unlocking to to the this game, Brett, is will Deschamps continue to do this? Will he continue to play yeah. on the front foot, or will he lay back? Because if they have they have all the quality to run everybody off the pitch, they're too deep at every position. They have five subs. Like, there's no moment of the game where they won't have the most talented uh, players on the pitch. Um, and the guys that come on have fresh legs versus the guys that come on for other teams is kind of it's completely unfair at that point. Uh, so. Is there any reason to think he won't? I mean, like, I know that's there's kind of a weird uh, question construction, but like, given that they already have a plus three in goal differential, given that they already have the three points in the bag, given that it was so effective, and given that, you know, they have to like their chances to advance no matter what happens to this game, why would he hesitate to step on the gas again? I mean, I think the simple answer is he's an old school international manager <laughs> so like there's always going to be an error towards the side of being super conservative and 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 this this match i think this match will actually be instructive of what we're going to see going forward this, of all the things that you mentioned the goal differential they bank the win they don't need to win this match they get a point out of here they're fine they're going to be set to probably win the group those are all reasons for us to see a back three with like Benjamin Pavard as a wing back scoring <laughs> setup possible. Um, so like there's definitely, this is, this is going to be instructive. This is going to be, are, are we going to see a new look style of, uh, of, of French football where they're going to roll out four really good attackers, be a little more open on the back end, but try to blow teams off the pitch or is the shops just, did he kind of like, Give us a little fool's goal. Did he just give us a little taste? Because he goes, Australia is really bad. I don't mind this. But now that we're playing like a like a really tough team in Denmark, you know, we're going to button it up. So I I can't tell. I would lean towards the fact that I, I think the success against Australia would push him to continue to go this route. But yeah, I would definitely are, not be shocked. If which did. way are you betting? Which way are you betting? I, I bet that they stay with what they did against Australia. I, I think the result will push him to do it. Um, but I mean, am I like a hundred percent confident in that? Probably not. I would say more like 75%. Cool. Well, I, 
for all the reasons I said, I and I also just want to believe that you know he's not going to do something stupid, but he's proven me wrong. Uh, he's a long history of proving me wrong in that regard. Otherwise, France might win every single tournament that they're in. Um, so my props that I want to give out are all like France attacking stuff, essentially. Uh, my three favorites are France to score a penalty. Again, refer to the top of the show. I love this one. Uh, it's plus 380. I think they have an excellent chance to draw and convert. Uh, France to win and over 2.5 goals is plus 230. They can get there on 2-1 or they can get there on 3-0. But then my actual favorite one, Brett, the one that uh, I'll be giving out again later, France race to two goals. So this bet is the first to two goals. If neither team gets the two goals, you do lose the bet. But it's whoever can score two goals first is plus 123 for France. So I don't think Denmark's going to get the two goals the entire game. And now you're getting plus odds on France yeah. getting there at plus 123, which is better than uh, the odds that you'll see on their over one and a half goals. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good bet, definitely. Um, I, I, Yeah, I might want to kind of steal that one. Um, but I was too caught up, man. I, I'm too caught up with the fact that the most beautiful man in soccer has two elite creators, elite creators around him. Um, he was plus 175 as an anytime goal scorer. It was hard for me to look past any other props. He is going to get a ton of shots. Um, the the only thing that made me possibly switch off that as my prop bet was Mbappe is somehow uh, plus. I think he's plus 125 as an anytime goal scorer. Oh, wow. Which is just wild, um, considering how he had like seven shots against Australia and he's probably the best attacker in the world right now. Um, well, I don't know. Messi's still, Messi's still around there. Um, but yeah, I, those two at plus money as anytime goal scorers. Uh, Denmark is going to be a lot stingier. They are on a completely different level than Australia is. But they are not above the fact that those two can still generate a ton of shots. And at, bl- at plus money for both of them, it was just really hard to look at anything else. All right. Well, that's going to be a fun way to spend Saturday morning. Uh, now let's get into a fun way to spend Saturday afternoon. Argentina versus Mexico, Saturday at 2 p.m. Argentina is minus 170. Caesars has Mexico at plus 490. The draw is plus 280. Argentina minus half a goal is minus 165. Mexico is plus 127. So... Brett, I think you and I had a fairly similar reaction watching the game, and I'm kind of proud of myself because I've come so far in my World Cup journey. If this was me in like 1998 or 2002, I'd be like, oh my God, can you believe Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia? They suck. And Saudi Arabia is incredible. Can you believe this? But no, it's like you, you actually look at the numbers and Argentina, non-penalty XG is plus 147. So they get their goal off a penalty, but they still created 1.47 and non-penalty XG beyond that. They have three goals ruled off by a combined three inches at most. So that doesn't even show up in that XG and that's goals that yeah. they're actually creating with really good finishing that uh, by the slightest, slightest, slightest of little shoulder leans kept getting ruled off, even though that gave them no tactical advantage, which reinvited reinvigorated the VAR debate over and over and over again. And then Algeria, uh, before Costa Rica told you know the world to hold their cerveza, uh, Algeria had the least attacking uh, XG for the entire tournament. Sa- Saudi far. Arabia. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. Cause uh, Saudi Arabia had the, uh, the worst XG at 0.15 of the entire time and somehow generated two gold. So until Costa Rica put up zero today, it was the worst performance them in Poland. So to say that you look at this and say, Alge- or, God, I keep saying it. 
Uh, Saudi Arabia beat them 2-1. Argentina crapped the bed and embarrassed themselves on the world stage. This is just, more than anything else you've taught me, just a complete demonstration of soccer being random and the results on the final uh, final line not matching what was happening on the pitch. Uh, don't tell any of that to Soccer Tactics Twitter because, uh, man, whew, I got a whole crash course on why Saudi Arabia just had the blueprint to stop Lionel Messi through Soccer Tactics Twitter, and th- and this is the thing that I always bother me. Like I, I, you know, I wrote in basketball for a long time. I worked in basketball for a long time, and there was always this that was going on there too, where it was a very results oriented thing. Like this offense is amazing because all these guys made tough shots. Argentina soundly beat them. If we saw this stat line in a Manchester city match, we would be like, Oh yeah. Like they're the best team in the world. They just got really completely dominated team. They just got unlucky, but because it's a world cup and Saudi Arabia is new, we get a whole thing about how they have found some magical key. And the whole point of a tactic means something that is actually like worth discussing really worth like saying this is a uh this is something that they need to continue to do going forward this can actually be a blueprint is if it's a repeatable you would not want to repeat saudi arabia's performance they created yeah. nothing they they maybe sort of limited argentina's um chances in the second half because they weren't trying to to attack they had three shots they scored on two of them the confluence of luck that they had to win that match you mentioned it it was about three inches that saved them from three three more goals and a ton more chances. It was putting two shots in the absolute only spot where the keeper couldn't save it. So like two all-time strikes. And then their goalkeeper standing on, her, on its head and a defender clearing a ball off the line. Like all the, one of those things happening would have been something where you're like, wow, that's a pretty lucky thing in an upset. All of those things happened for them to win. It was the all-time luck box win. They they were down to one out on the last card, and they hit that <laughs> But then Soccer Tactics is trying to tell me that that was not the case and that they are just playing 4D chess, and it kills me, Toby. Don't do yeah. this to me, Soccer Tactics. My blood pressure is already high enough. Well, congratulations to Soccer Tactics Twitter and Elon Musk being the last people on the platform. So (laughs) they're the two cockroaches that aren't going anywhere. Uh, So given all that, so given, you know, what you've educated me on and I've become, uh, I'm still a jabroni on the couch, but less so than I was at least 20 years ago. When we look at Argentina versus Mexico, I see opportunity here. I see an Argentina that absolutely has to win. They're going to play with more desperation and more verve, and they're going to have to play on the front foot. And I think what we're seeing, and Ryan's talked about it, you've talked about it, I've been soaking up this information, is the teams that are coming out and playing more aggressive and playing more positive, you like to back them with your dollars to come out with a victory because they have so much more quality than Mexico and because they absolutely have to have it. And because, you know, they need to, uh, you know, kind of snap back from what was by the numbers, the biggest upset of World Cup history. I can't believe they're only minus 165. Like I thought I might have bet this in there plus like 250, 260. So to get them at minus 165 is a gift that I plan to uh, accept and, and cash in on on whatever this is on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, and really, let's like let's be honest about the Mexico Poland game. We we unfortunately were telling you 
prop bets and things for it because we thought it was one of the most important matches, and that was oh, I, I I gave out neither uh, both teams to score no, so uh, I won oh, twice yeah. on that one. Yeah, so, so I killed you, that profit. You, you did that. I'm just saying that we we turned people onto that match by pretending it was going to oh. be like worth watching and important, and yeah. that match was horrible. Um, and we, and, and Ryan pointed this out and we, and we got to this and when we all talked about Lewandowski and his impact and how Poland hasn't really done anything, you know, despite him being there, you know, all three of us were on the same way, like with that one and Mexico barely outplayed him. Um, and, and this is not a very strong side. Um, Argentina is, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I was looking at this number. I thought minus two sixty five for like a half a goal would have probably been right about where this landed. The minus 160 is a gift. Uh, I, I mean, we're on this, we were on different wavelengths because I'm a trader with the England match. Um, but this one, this one, I think is the absolute epitome of public perception over results based narrative is going to drive this line to a place it shouldn't be. And then the other part is Messi is plus 125 is an anytime goal scorer. And we yep. know that he's going to take the penalty yeah. here. Yep. And we know that they are going to absolutely do the same thing. They're going to pin Mexico in. This is not a super strong Mexico side. And Me- Messi is, is going to be on one this match. And you're getting him at plus money. Still yeah. probably the greatest player in the sport. At plus money to score in a must-win World Cup match, Toby. What is happening? Yeah, I, I I don't have too much to add because I actually have the exact same prop written down. If you hear the screaming in the background, I assume my kid is watching a replay of Poland Mexico, and that's <laughs> that's why they're that's why they're yelling so much. Um, watching Mexico play, like their biggest asset is not on the field; it's in the stands. Like their fans are absolutely incredible. Like the noise yeah. they made when Ochoa made that save was really like inspiring. They packed the stadium with so many people all the way around the world. So that part is absolutely awesome. And I don't wish them ill. Like I hope they get through. I hope after Argentina thrashes them, they find a way to advance. And it's kind of wild. Like they, I, I think it's seven straight World Cups they've advanced to the uh, round of sixteen, and they have this like kind of rich footballing history. But somehow they don't have a player like Pulisic, right? Like they were missing so just one guy who can make one world-class touch in the middle of the pitch once to unlock the defense. It was just all these crosses into headers over and over and over again that weren't actually putting any pressure on Poland. And it's not like Poland can't be pressured. They're uh, not a good squad, as you've talked about. So I, I think this is just a massive opportunity for Argentina to quiet the narrative, get their three points, put their destiny back in their own hands. And for the exact same reasons that you talked about, Lionel Messi at plus 125 is an anytime goal scorer is something I, I absolutely love. And um, them to score a penalty is plus 320. So refer back to the top of the show because I think they're going to be so attacking because I think they're going to come out with such energy because I think they're going to put so much stinking pressure on Mexico's defense. Uh, them to convert a penalty at plus 320 is another prop that I, I really love. And I think if you take, you know, France, England, and Argentina all at plus 300, you just bet them all kind of like Sal bets under for running back uh, futures. I like that as kind of a portfolio bet that you'll hit at least one and maybe you'll hit two. Yeah, I mean, and and let's, I mean, let's kind of talk about this too. Like, like Mexico, like sort of does have that guy, the Pulisic guy, and Irvin Lozano, but he was nowhere to be found against Poland. He played all ninety minutes. And he took one shot, created three chances, I think. So, like, yeah, that's a problem. He's their, he is their guy, and and, and this is the thing about Mexico that's interesting. Is like they used there used to be a big talent gap between them and like the U.S. I mean, that was like five six years ago. That was a thing. 
the U.S. has way more quality players right now than Mexico. If you want to try to like yep. find a reference point, it's Lozano and and um, Edison Alvarez who play for Champions League level teams. Everybody else is way below that. You have Jimenez in the Premier League, but he's been hurt and might not play. So this is a really weak side. And uh, I mean, again. I cannot believe Messi's plus money. I just cannot get over this, yeah. man. My well, pipeline's going to be so boring because you know that a lot of it is going to go on this line. I, I don't watch a lot of Lozano because he doesn't play in a great league, which is why I wouldn't I wouldn't have put him with uh, with Pulisic. And watching that game against Poland, like I never would have guessed that he was that guy. Like as you yeah. said, he was nowhere to be found. He did not show the quality on the pitch that would uh, give him give me the confidence to think that they do have a world class playmaker or even like I don't know a continental class playmaker that can yeah. generate a goal when they desperately need one. Uh, all right. So we're, we're very much aligned on that one. Let's say we're aligned on Netherlands, and, excuse me, Netherlands and Ecuador, which is Friday at 11 a.m. This is the warm up for the USA game. Netherlands is minus 130. Ecuador is plus 390. The draw is plus 240. Netherlands minus half a goal is minus 130. Ecuador is plus 100. So here's my hot take of the day, Brett. And then I want to hear uh, what you think of them in terms of winning the tournament, like the odds going into it. I actually feel worse about Netherlands than I do about Argentina and Germany after watching the first round, despite Netherlands winning 2-0 and Argentina and Germany both losing, uh, which I know is probably insane because, you know, now Germany and Argentina aren't locks to get through. But at least their performance on the pitch gave me a lot more reason to believe that when this gets to the knockout rounds and it's, you know, heavyweight fight after heavyweight fight, that they can make it way through. I don't I just don't see it from Netherlands. I was skeptical coming in. They have no focal point for their offense. Um, Depay came on late and he didn't exactly like tilt the game much in, in my opinion. And before that, it was a lot of, you know, Frankie Dijon trying to create opportunities or Virgil van Dyke trying to score on set pieces. And they mainly got on the goal. And I hate to say it because he wears, you know, the Chelsea blue, they mainly got on, they got mainly got on the board because Mendy made two errors. And so in watching them, I don't know where the goals are going to come from. I don't think they have like a 2006 Italy defense where they could just ride like Ake and Van Dyke all the way to the title. And so I don't like them, even though they came out with 2-0 and Argentina and Germany came out with losses. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is going to be boring because we're just going to be patting each other on the back for good opinions. Um, so I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, there, there was, I, what I really need to do though, is that I need to take time and I know it's the internet, but I'm going to use this reference. I need to find the AAO tape where I say that Netherlands was my dark horse pip. I need to burn that, take the ashes, drive into the desert and bury that. So no one can find it. Um, Cause it was, it was one of those things. I was Ron Burgundy about 10 minutes into the match going, I immediately regret this decision. Um, like it was, it was really bad. I have huge questions about what Louis van Gaal is trying to do here. Um, obviously he's a very accomplished manager, um, more accomplished than me, this bum sitting on the couch in Arizona, but it is. It was a really weird setup. Like he played Delict in a back three, um, and I have my opinions on Delict. They aren't positive ones. Uh, but when you play a back three, um, part of the things that you want your, your outside center backs to do is be able to really be guys that can drive the ball forward, um, especially when you're going to have possession like the, the Netherlands did in that match. Um, and Delict is not that guy. Like he he's more of probably closer to the old school big lumbering center backs that we probably saw in the 2010 era premier league than he is to a guy like timber who plays for ix a super progressive possession-based club like it was a weird switch there 
Daily Blind as a left wing back is like, what? Um, I don't know what's going on. And then he drops Steven Burkhouse, who's um, a kind of like more of an attacking midfielder into almost like a double pivot with our boy Frankie DeYoung. Um, and it was just, it was really weird and disjointed. And I, I didn't think they were very clean. The only way they were really advancing the ball up the pitch was like when DeYoung would just take it and dribble through like four guys. Um, Steven Bergwijn doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. It's like part of a two man strike partnership. There's a lot of things that like, I was hoping that maybe Memphis would be fit enough to play and start. Like you brought on, he came on, didn't look very good. He looked like a guy that had been hurt and not playing a lot of Barcelona. Um, and as Ryan pointed out, like their problem was always going to be goals. If he is not going to be able to come on and score, if they are going to play this super stodgy kind of ill-fitting back three with daily blend as a wing back, which should be somebody in a more attacking spot in that position, there are problems. Um, and Ecuador is a spicy team. I mean, enter Valencia, Everton, shout out, lone season. Woo. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, I think this is going to be more a bet against Netherlands than it is going to be like a super ambitious, like Ecuador is better than we think guys um, type thing. But that draw at plus 240, man, I, I, are you confident in the Dutch to win this match at all? No, I'm not. I'm not, which is why I'm going Ecuador double chance uh, plus 100. So Ecuador plus half a goal plus 100. I like that way more than Netherlands uh, minus 130 or Ecuador plus 390. The coward's way out is is a tasty number, draw plus 240. Uh, but I actually think Ecuador could win. I think they, if they get on the score sheet, if they manage to find a goal, I think they could win this 1-0. And so the reason I'm not taking the draw, strangely enough, is I think Ecuador has just enough, just just enough win equity to want to have both of them rather than just the draw, uh, which is a sad thing to say when you know they're playing the the top seed in their group. But I will tell you the one I absolutely love. No surprising based on our conversation and what I'm saying. Uh, Ecuador had plus four non penalty xG in their match. Netherlands had plus six seven non penalty xG. None, none of them like showed me any you know kind of reasons to believe that that xG was misleading. Like I didn't like the attack from either side. Uh, I think Netherlands will all already likes their chances to advance since they have a win already and their last match is against Cutter who is putting up an argument to be the worst team in, in World Cup history. Uh, so I think they're going to advance either way, and they don't really have to put their foot on the gas in this game. Um, and Ecuador, I think they'll like their odds because they have three points banked as well, right? So I think they could have a winner-take-all versus Senegal, and they'll know where they stand on a goal differential before this match kicks off because Senegal plays cutter beforehand. So put all of that together. I see a super tight, super boring, low-scoring affair here that could go either way. But what's not going to go uh, either way is the number of goals. Give me under two and a half at minus 130 all day. Oh, you and you and I are basically on the same thing. I, I took a different side of that with the both teams to score no um, at minus 110. I, I nil-nil draw screams out at me. I wanted to do an exact scoreline, but those are always so finicky. Um, so I really like the fact that I, I do think this is going to be a really boring uh, Please avert your eyes, or if you have to wake up for, to try to watch this match, just hit the snooze button. Um, but this is going to be a match that I think is going to be very devoid of chances. Um, and the fact, just the idea that both there's going to be multiple goals in this match from different teams, it just doesn't register. Um, yeah. So, and I, I just, I just don't see the Dutch making any changes either. Like, I don't see Van Gaal like all of a sudden realizing like, oh, hey, you know. We got this 2-0 win, but like there was a lot of problems. I need to switch up this formation. I don't see that happening. 
Um, yeah. if, if, they, if something like that did happen, if they're, if they reverted away from the back three, if they played maybe somebody in that third center back role, that was a little bit more progressive with the ball at his feet, I could maybe see more Dutch leaning bets, but like, it's really hard to, from what we saw in the first match. Yeah. So you heard it here first guys go get Netherlands to win the whole world cup right now. Uh, because we, since we just went this hard on him, I'm sure somebody's going to want to throw it in our faces very soon. Yeah, this is a uh, win-win for me. Either like I just refer to the AAO tape and say, "Yeah, dude, I told you guys they're going to be a dark horse pick," or I'll be like, "Oh yeah, after the first match, like I immediately recanted, guys, come on." <laughs> yeah, in the extra points universe, that's known as pulling a Harry. So congratulations. <laughs> awesome. uh, so uh, we're going to take a, one last break and we're going to go pull the Germany, Spain odds, get them fresh off the press for you. And then we'll cover that game right when we get back. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, we are back, and we just got the refreshed odds after Spain and Germany's uh, played this morning, and I'm surprised, Brett, that they haven't moved that much. So Spain versus Germany is Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Very quick programming note. Uh, Brett and I will be doing Spotify Live along with Sal. We're going to have a football mashup. We'll be talking about Spain and Germany and the um, – the witching hour of the early 1 p.m. NFL games, all on the same Spotify live, all together. It will be chaos. It will be glorious. Please come join us. Uh, for this particular game, Spain is plus 130. Germany is plus 195. The draw is plus 245. Spain minus half a goal is plus 122. The Germans to get a result is minus 155. So, Brett, before the kickoffs this morning, before Spain won 7-0 and Germany lost 2-1 to Japan, Spain was plus 140 and Germany was plus 185. So, for uh, whatever reasons, the odds makers looked at this morning, almost threw it out the window, and barely factored it into their analysis. Did the way they played this morning, the way you watched Spain, the way you watched Germany, did it factor into your analysis? Do you feel the same way you did when you woke up or do you feel differently after watching those games? Uh, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I mean, we, we've uh, touched on it in multiple different points in the podcast about, you know, kind of the process oriented look at both those things. Um, yeah, Spain looked impressive. You know, I joked about saying that they're better than Manchester City, but I mean, obviously we, when we discussed further, we were talking about it was a perfect matchup for them against Costa Rica to, to have this type of pristine performance. 
And Germany was playing a really feisty Japan team that was that is built to hurt them in the ways that they're vulnerable. Um, so I, I think the odds makers are reflecting the fact that like this really doesn't change much about Spain and Germany uh, and how they play. And I, I think I came into this group thinking this was going to be a really even match. I came into this group thinking that uh, that these two are about the same level of uh, ability to make a run uh, to the finals. And none of that's really changed. Uh, obviously, Germany's odds of advance out of the group are going to take a little bit of a hit. Um, but, you know, when you go back and forth and like I do and you end up into what's probably going to wind up on an extra points T-shirt with my face on it. You go the coward's way out, Toby. You go the draw <laughs> at plus two forty-five. I mean, I think of course part, I do. think part of you deep down, you want this show to do really well and reach a huge audience for the fact that it's going to reach your audience. But then you want it to do well so that you can do that. You can plaster my face on a T-shirt that says "The Coward's Way Out," the draw, which is my face on it. Yeah, no. When Sal and I started the company, we were like, "Hey, what we really need to do is get to the point where we bet the entire company's finances on a pro English coward." <laughs> and how that will do in merchandise sales, particularly uh, when we focus mainly on soccer and not football Americana. So <laughs> I, I think the last three years were worth it. We finally found a way. See, to this look, company you guys explode. are just, you guys are playing. You're like Elon Musk with running Twitter, man. You guys are so far <laughs> ahead of us. Like it's crazy. Exactly. Both of those uh, decisions would lead to a tire fire and <laughs> bankruptcy, just like Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so uh, watching this morning, I, I, I was a little surprised at uh, Nauer, the goalie for Germany. Like, I know, like, he's, what, 36? I think he's 36, 37 now. And, like, goalies usually age doesn't affect them as much. But he was slower coming off his line uh, when he was trying to play sweeper-keeper, which is, you know, something he's done extraordinarily well throughout his career. And then I was shocked. Nauer's 36, by the way. Didn't mean to interrupt your slow, but I was actually curious. (laughs) Yeah, and I was 36. And I was also shocked on the second goal when he was so hesitant with the guy bearing down on him and the guy took an extra touch and now didn't pounce on it. And he got beat near post and the guy just pile drive it past him. Like, you know, two, three, four years ago, certainly when they won the cup at 14, I would expect Nauer to snuff that out like 100% of the time. So I don't know if that was just a bad moment of hesitancy or if it's, you know, some sort of arbiter of a little bit of a decline. But that is the one thing I saw this morning that that made me a little bit nervous about uh, backing Germany. Um, but, you know, on the underlying numbers, non-penalty XG, Spain had seven goals at 2.69. Germany uh, only scored on the penalty and they had 2.48. So looking at the process oriented, I can see why you would stick in the same place. Although it's wild to think that, you know, Germany lost 2-1 and Spain won 7-0, generating about the same amount of offensive chances. Uh, and plus, like Japan is a pretty well-disciplined defensive team, and obviously Costa Rica was Costa Rica. So in some ways, if you're going to look at this process-oriented, Germany had a more impressive offensive performance than um, than the people on the other side. And it's hard to judge their defensive performance too much, you know, comparing them side by side, since Costa Rica literally played zero offense. Uh, yeah. It was an empty pitch out there that Spain was just, you know, it, they weren't even scrimmaging. Because scrimmaging would imply that they were playing like 11 on 11. They were playing 11 <laughs> on zero. It was some sort of drill that, you know, 100 million people worldwide were expected to watch. It was pretty disgusting. Um <laughs> I think it's a little bit uh, nerve wracking for both of these teams to have like Asensio leading the line for Spain, who's not even playing much for Real Madrid. It's certainly not a natural striker. Murata, I know he got on the goal, the score sheet late, but he's not striking the fear into many people. And having Kai Havertz just like wander off sides 
and and not be as decisive as we need him to be at Chelsea. Uh, having him be just as indecisive and somewhat ineffectual leading the German line was also a cause for concern. So uh, I think after all of that rambling, I am going with the team with the better odds here. I think these teams, uh, despite the score sheets today, are fairly evenly matched. I can see why you would take the draw, but because Germany needs it and because the number is better, I'm going to take Germany at plus 195 from a gambling perspective, overtaking Spain or the draw because they got to get this to advance. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's definitely an argument to be made too that like Germany is going to probe and hurt Spain in ways that. Costa Rica never would be capable of showing us like we wouldn't even get the warning sign because Costa Rica was so ill-equipped to hurt Spain. Um, I, uh, I would have been more bullish. You're going to, I know you're going to make a comment about this. I would be more bullish. And I was thinking about this when I was looking at this matchup before the world cup started. If Timo Werner was in this Germany side and did not miss this world cup, he is the one player that I, believe, I think I'm with would have swung. Oh, you, okay, you. all right. I yeah. thought you were going to make a comment about him shooting no. 10 feet over the bar. But his, his pace is his ability to run in behind. That that would have probably swayed me to take Germany in this matchup. But without him on the pitch, they don't really have that player, at least one that's going to play. Um, Adiame might, might, is, might be fit that mold, but like you won't see the pitch. So... I that's where I, I landed on the draw. I literally it's it's probably not a good thing that like Timo Vermer would switch my bet, but that that is that was honestly the biggest difference maker for me to not be able to take the Germany line. Yeah, well, if Spain thinks they're going to get a thousand passes off against Germany, I'd like to introduce them to Antonio Rudiger. Uh, that is just not happening on Tony's watch and he will be crap housing them the entire time. Also like gun one and Kimmich isn't going to allow that to happen. So uh, the reason I, I agree with you is Timo would be excellent on like a quick counter after, you know, Antonio or Kimmich or good one get a boot in when Spain is playing their ticket attacker. And then they hit them with a, just a lightning fast goes from a turnover to in the back of the net in five seconds. They don't have that without them. They just don't have it. Like Kai ain't that guy. And I don't know who's going to be that guy. I know that uh neighbory was excellent today. Like that was one unbelievable sequence when he created four saves, like in, in one, you know, move, yeah. like three Love of his own shots minute, and, yeah. and one, one beautiful knockback that led to another goal. So neighbory, I think is the closest we're going to come to, to seeing somebody can hit him quick on that counter, but I don't know. I mean, they both put on a good enough offensive performance through their underlying number. They both have these different styles uh, where they want to play press. They want to play high energy and they want to, you know, you know, dominate the ball and, and tilt the field that my prop bet is going to be both the score but no draw at plus 135. Because I think that what I just said, like their offensive creativity and, and their firepower and their skill on the ball will create scenarios where both teams will be able to get on the score sheet. And after that, I'm not going to lie. I just want to have some fun. Whether Spain wins or Germany wins, I just don't want there to be a draw. So once they're both on the score sheet, I want one of them to come home with the three points. And I want us to really be enjoying ourselves on Spotify Live rather than just rooting for the coward's way out with the Union Jack on our shirt. <laughs> Could never live this one down. Uh, I mean, uh, we we have the same bet, just the result at the end of it is the same. Um, I have both teams to score a yes at minus 175 with no caveat on what the result is. Um, I, I, I Obviously, if I'm going to bet the draw, I'm not going to take one side to come out on top of the other. Um, but, I, but I do think this match is going to have goals. I think 
Obviously, it's a minus number. It's a pretty heavy minus number, but I still think that there's an edge there because it's going to be a little deflated because Spain looks so good and limited the chances for Costa Rica. And like you said, Germany is a different beast. Um, I also think that this might be a match where Luis Enrique's disdain of set pieces uh, haunts him in the form of a giant, angry-looking German named Antonio Rudiger on a set piece. Um, so there, there's some interesting little dynamics that are going to go on at play. I, I just do not see too many scenarios where this match is slowed down to the point where the chances are so limited that it's going to put you at a disadvantage to see both teams score. Yeah. All right. Enough's enough, Brett. Let's get our five pint. Let's say goodbye and get to the second half of this Belgium matchup, which since they started batch the Y up front is uh, not going to be exactly fireworks on either side. Uh, so for my five pint and we don't have five pint results. Uh, there's a lot on this Canada Belgium matchup from both Brett and I. So we're not, we don't have five pint results this week. We'll get them fully updated next week. When we come back to you, we're talking about the round three matchups. Uh, my best bets of this particular round are France minus one nineteen at one pint USA, England, both teams to score. Yes. Minus one fifteen at one pint Messi anytime goal plus one twenty five at one pint, which I think I'm going to hear from Brett as well. Uh, Netherlands, Ecuador, under 2.5 goals at minus 130 at one point. And then I'm going back. I'm coming back to France again. France on the uh, race to two goals plus 123. What about you, Brett? Uh, mine are going to be very in a similar vein. Uh, obviously, we'll get the messy one out of the way. Two points, messy plus 125. Uh, I got the England clean sheet win at plus 130 for one. And then oh, I am. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I wish they had buried you with the queen. <laughs> <laughs> that's sports weird. hate right there that's sports hate at its finest I don't know, weird way to go um <laughs> then my final one for two points is my belief that the netherlands ecuador game is going to be an absolutely god awful watch both teams to score no minus 110 for two pints consolidated into three bets uh but obviously man the messy number like i wasn't gonna mess around with that one yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for sticking with us. Um, or maybe you didn't, you didn't hear this, but oh, well, um, it is Thanksgiving. And so we are incredibly thankful for you, our audience. Uh, we are incredibly thankful for all the people at the extra points network, Sal and everybody else. We are thankful for our partners at Caesars and Omaha. Uh, I am obviously thankful to Michael, our producer for doing this and getting away from his family for an hour and a half. So maybe he's thankful for me as well. Uh, Brett, I am thankful for you, but I will tell you what I am most thankful for when it comes to the World Cup. I am so thankful to the United States national team for providing that one moment of joy on Monday. I don't know if they're going to advance. Maybe they're going to get rolled by England. Maybe, you know, they're, even Iran is going to is going to take us down. And then this tournament and this experience is going to be over by Tuesday. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know. And that one moment that I was at a, a, a uh, bar in a giant crowd, um, I had my 10-year-old, I had my 8-year-old, I was with friends, my friends had brought their kids, we all just wanted them to have the experience. And that one moment where a soccer goal changes everything that you think about your life for just 10 seconds. For that 10 seconds, you feel more hope than you, you uh, might feel in your day-to-day -day life, particularly on a Monday. That 10 seconds, the weight of history just slips off of your back. 
you don't think about 1998 anymore. You don't think about the lost opportunities. You just think about that second in which they score. And that moment, it is the greatest release of energy in all of sports is where everybody's dreams and their ambitions and their hopes and everything is realized in one moment. And the, the feeling that you get from the crowd and the energy that they give off and everybody exploding as one coming out of their seats and yelling and screaming and to see my 10-year-old and to see my eight-year-old jump out of their seats and yell and scream along with them to see all of that to see all of that made the entire tournament and the entire experience worth it for me so in that moment i not only believe that we can win i believe that i have the greatest fandom that there is in all of sports which is being a soccer fan which is watching the world cup and i beg you to go out on friday to go out on next tuesday find a crowd find a loved one find somebody to enjoy that moment with because i am so Thankful, no matter what else happens, I will have that 10 seconds for the rest of my life. And I'm going to ruin everything thoughtful and nice that you said right there by saying we need to get Mikey Meatballs a soundboard to play the American Dream song from FCOT so we can end on you just saluting the camera as we slowly fade out. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know if he has a soundboard for whatever, you know, fires up the British, but maybe we can get some cannons firing or some some fife drums from the Revolutionary War. We'll get you a red coat to watch a, on There's Friday. like the King George song from Hamilton. You can just play that one. Bingo. <laughs> All right. So we will be back uh, either Monday night or Tuesday morning before round two. But I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy this next round of football. And uh, I hope you enjoy rooting for for England, Brett. So until (laughs) then, I will see you all. And thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody.